This is The Real Magic Podcast. Learn about great design and use it to get great results. Now your hosts, Greg Merrilies and Alan Nunez. Hello, listener, and thank you for joining Greg and I today for The Real Magic Design Podcast, where we try and unpack our experience to help designers and business owners understand how to create amazing designs and work together to make design that is profitable. My name is Alan from Pixel Partners HQ, and here is my co-host, Greg, from Studio One Designs. It would be singular. Studio, Studio One, one design. design. Oh. Yeah, we only do. We've only done one design. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You've, you're a studio that's done one design. Hey, I'm just thinking about the intro. Do we try to unpack or do we unpack? It's like Yoda. Do or do not. Do or do not. We should. Oh, we're gonna have to change our intro. <laughs> oh, Yoda. We'll do a different intro on the next episode. Hey. Yeah, why not? What's been happening with you? Uh, mate, I've got fun and excitement. I, um, I'm planning some travel for the next 12 months. Uh, I've got a Ooh. trip to the office in the Philippines where we're setting up a new photo studio and we've got lots of nice. exciting things happening. We're going to have our annual conference and a day out with the team, which is going to be a lot of fun. You know, booking some time away from the office with my family. So, yeah, it's all, all happening. Actually, I find booking all these trips a little bit stressful, to be honest. I'm glad that they're done. Yeah, cool. Yeah, it can be. There's a lot of organisation and coordinating. Yeah, you've got a family, you've got a business, got a lot of people to coordinate. So, cool, man. Yeah, well, for me, I took action last week, you mentioned, to call some clients, and I thought that's going to be my one thing, and I did. And, yeah, it's turned into some business. So I just called a couple of my clients, A, that we already work with, and one that I haven't heard, you know, I haven't worked with for a while. So, yeah, got some new business out of it. So thank you for that tip, man. No problems. And did you gain some insights as well as to things you could do for your other clients yeah yeah absolutely so part of it is i am part of the reason for calling them was to let them know about a new service that i've got right which is a you know a monthly pack and so in that i was finding out what they wanted in the pack and what objections they have and all that stuff i've put into you know my my faq on on the page so yeah it's not released yet but it, uh, it's been coded this week nice i've seen the design it looks pretty sweet (laughs) cool man (laughs) all right so we have a topic today around somebody that you and i are both a little bit of a fan of and you went to an event where he was speaking yeah jay abraham man like what a legend this guy is he's you know been around forever i don't know how old he is but maybe in his 60s but yeah he's a marketing guru he's a copywriter he's is the type of guy that he's a consultant, a marketing consultant essentially, and he goes into he can go into any business and pretty much dig deep into it and work out a better way for them to do business and attract either more business or you know more income or more profit essentially. He's just a genius. Yeah, he has an amazing ability to see through the blockages that most people don't see past. Yeah, yeah, he sure does, man. So anyway, there this event that I went to, it wasn't his event. He was just speaking at the event, and he was obviously the main draw card speaker, but the rest of the event, which I won't name because it was su- such a pitch fest, it was incredibly annoying, but it was, you know, worth it to push through to stay to the end and watch Jay's 90-minute presentation. It was killer, man. Just for the listeners that may not know what a pitch fest is, Yeah, Yeah, Greg and I are big fans of getting out of our office and going to events, but we like going to events where huge amounts of value are delivered by the speakers. You know, the speakers are up on stage so that 
the the audience gets something out of their presentation and unfortunately there are a lot of events that those speakers are only there to sell their products and their services and they tend to mm. miss a little bit of the value delivery that, that should be in any great presentation. So when Greg says it's a pitch fest, what he meant was, what was it, a one-day or a two-day conference? One day, yeah. yeah. So out of the – all bar 90 minutes of the, the one-day conference was people trying to sell their services to the people seated in the audience rather than delivering them some value so they can get that like-no-trust relationship. So Exactly. And, like, you know, a good presentation or a good event is where the presenters provide – valuable education that you're sitting taking frantic notes like the events we go to you know normally you and i l and yeah this one was literally just the speakers are up there and they're just talking all about you know social proof about why they're so good providing a bit of social proof but not a hell of a lot and not really educating at all and everything's just leading towards the sale at you know at the end of their presentation they put some scarcity on it to get people to run to the back back of the room and it's just oh i'm furious it's yeah. just yeah Look, i can't stand that but anyway thankfully we don't have to go to many of those so yeah exactly but it was worth it yeah well sometimes you have to go because there's one or two speakers that you know do provide value and yeah um, well, look, let's get into this, hey? Like, yeah. I, I really love the stuff that Jay Abraham talks about, and, and I have a couple of you know, slightly left of centre perspectives on on these things. De- definitely aligned, like in agreement. But uh, let, let's go through it. What What are a couple of things that you got out of what you know the value that he delivered when he when he spoke? Yeah. So look, just to sort of frame it, like he didn't have a structure to his speech. He's a very creative guy, and he's very he can be all over the shop when he's delivering. So he just stuck to case studies of, you know, businesses that he's helped. And so I found that structure was, was quite good. It was just it was full of social proof and just showing how he went into each individual business and, and you know, turned it into something amazing. So probably one of the biggest things that I got overall from, you know, the way Jay Abraham is, is that he thinks differently and acts differently to his, or, you know, to his clients' competitors. So he tries to look at a, a way to solve his prospects problems differently to their competitors yeah nice it's uh, competitive difference i think is something that that people take for granted today you know i mean there's a there's a book called the star principle by richard kosh and he talks about a carpet company in the u.s that was nearly going bust right from selling carpets and what they worked out was that in a commercial building only 20 percent of the carpet actually got any decent amount of wear so what they did was they started leasing carpet to these buildings right but instead of putting down rolls of carpet they put down carpet squares and in the leasing program once a year they would come and replace the damaged squares yeah, right so here's a way these are somebody still selling carpets they haven't changed their business they've identified a problem when a, when a commercial company buys carpet certain sections wear out and then they're forced to replace all the carpet Right, mm-hmm. so they've solved the problem differently by saying, well, instead of having to have a massive outlay every whatever five years, just pay a lease payment, and part of that lease payment, we will take care of that wear and tear problem. You know, yeah, yeah. I think too many people look at competitors and say, well, what can I do like my competitors? Which is can also be yeah powerful, but yeah, if you really want to ten times your business, because if you do that, if you like your competitors, you might you might grow one or 
two times, but if you want to 10 times it, you've got to think differently. For me, I mean, look, I don't know how this is going to go, this new offer that I'm doing, but I've never done an offer like this before. And it's essentially, you know, unlimited designs, unlimited design revisions. It's it's almost like, um, you know, I'm a labor hire company, but, of you know, really talented designers, and I'm offering that to our clients. And now, I don't know anyone that's doing what I'm doing in, in our industry. You know, there, there may be people out there, I just don't know of them. I know there's businesses doing you know, similar things that are very low end and, and, you know, not for full websites and things like that. So, yeah, this is me trying to think and act differently. And yeah, we'll see how this goes. Yeah, look, I think that the key is have a look and see what your competitors are not doing. Do you know what I mean? Everybody does a competitor analysis and says, well, what are our competitors doing and how do we combat that? How do we have an offering that is similar to that or better price to that or, you know, what have you? And, And the reality is that what you want to do is say, well, here's a different way to do it. I mean, there's a large uh, electrical chain, Harvey Norman's in Australia, right? And what they did a number of years ago was instead of doing what the competitors were doing, which is a fight to the bottom of pricing, they said, we're going to keep our pricing and we're still going to be competitive, but what we're going to do is instead of fighting on the value so somebody can pay for, you know, $5,000 worth of TV and sound system, we're just going to offer to let them pay it off uh, over 24 months. And now it's mm-hmm. 36 months and it's, you know, you can get like five years interest free now from them. And that's been their competitive advantage because they're doing what their other competitors are not doing. And they were first into the market and they've always been ahead. And now their competitors are, are replicating that. So everybody does the interest free, but they were always the first you know they they asked what are our competitors not doing our competitors are not offering our uh, the customers an efficient way to take the goods home and pay for them you know and it killed things like lay buys do you remember the good old days of lay buy where you would you know you'd go in and make your weekly or monthly payment until it was paid off and then you could take the goods home yeah yeah exactly yeah you know when i first started working you know in the big department stores lay by department was one of the biggest departments in the store because it was the only way people could pay off their goods so it's it's think differently what else have we got yeah look i mean just just on that though there's a couple other examples that i want to sort of bring to everybody's attention and that is you know all the successful businesses these days are thinking differently but using technology to to deliver essentially the same service but in a different way so think uber you know think video easy versus netflix for instance so it's essentially the same service they're just using technology to deliver it and they're solving their prospects problems in a different way to their competitors and that's why they've you know they've become so successful look i agree you need to look at how things are being supplied and delivered you know but be careful right because technology to help delivery is great but we're talking about thinking differently to what our competitors are doing if the competitors are i'll give you an example right so in the banking industry here you know all the banks were trying to encourage people to online bank and there was no staff in the in the branches anymore and you'd have to queue up longer than ever to get to a teller and you know customer service was was poor because it was overseas call centers now combank has gone the commonwealth bank of australia has gone and done the opposite thing right so they now have concierge service at the front of their banks and you're greeted when you come in and they always make sure they've got plenty of staff in there right so be careful of the technology trap right technology can be awesome it can be more cost effective it can deliver things seemingly faster and better but if all your competitors are going down the line of technology for customer service 
I'm not talking about deliverables here. Your example is deliverables, but technology for customer service, then consider doing the opposite. You know, can can you deliver a more personalized service? So That's right. So zig when everyone else is zagging, and that's pretty much what Jay Abraham does for his clients. Uh, I mean, another way he said to, to look at the problem or to solve the problem is to potentially, you know, do a strategic alliance with somebody that has the same customer as you. So almost like a, a JV arrangement where, you know, you might be struggling to grow your business I and mean, they might be struggling to grow theirs. And it just so happens that the assets that you have when culminated together could provide a better solution for the same customer. So he gave an example of a a motorbike company that they had a really good product. They didn't have the the factory or the staff to fulfill you know the orders if they got orders and they didn't have a very strong marketing team so they actually they this is a business in china they looked all over china and they found a lawnmower manufacturer that had all this equipment all this staff and a really big sales and marketing team but they didn't have a killer motorbike product so they joined forces together and then they become one of the biggest motorbike you know providers in china yeah nice yeah Look, it is. It's yeah. just, it's you don't have to go it alone. You know, look around, look around at other businesses that you can team up with and and provide value to people. We're doing it in our business at the moment. Like we've you know teamed up with a a, a really good website developer that specialises in delivering websites as themes. You know, as templates. Now, I don't want to offer that in my business, but we we have joined forces where he's offering like we'll design these websites for individual niches and then we will put them on his website he'll code them and he'll offer them to his customers and you know it's something that his team doesn't have the skill set to you know do the high level design and you know we don't want to do that coding theme side of the business so together it's a strategic alliance that's you know worked really well for both of us. I've got to say in the design industry that's probably one of the most classic examples of a strategic alliance. I mean, web and clients, business owners don't get this, right? They go looking for a web developer, but they don't realise that web developers are good at the coding and the development and they're not great designers, right? Or they go Mm -hmm. and go, oh, I've got to look for a web designer and they don't realise the web designer's skill is in design. Hopefully the developer has a strategic alliance with the designer and vice versa and that's how you get a one-stop deliverable. So, And actually you and I have teamed up on on something like that recently for one of my clients, right? Exactly. Where yeah. we acknowledge that, yeah, there's a lot that we can do, but your team provides the the missing link to bring it all together. So, yeah, yeah. Cool. What else have we got, man? Yeah, the next thing was Jay says, there are really only three ways to grow your business. And one is to get more buyers. One is to get more buyers to buy from you more frequently. And one is to sell at a higher price point. Look, I think this is a, pretty traditional business concept, right? It's more new customers, get your existing customers to buy more often or increase yep. your pro- uh, your profit by increasing your retail price, you know? That all sounds great. Here's my bit of advice, right, o- along this. Everybody tries to do all three at once. Just start with one and often the easiest one is to look at your existing customer base and how could you sell something else to those? Either increase the frequency of their order or add in a new offering that they would also buy. 
Couldn't agree more. And so we call that shake the trees. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And if you look at even like Ezra, you know, we did the, the review of Ezra's e-commerce event. He's all about the the post-sale uh, sequence in his marketing. And that is exactly this principle of, you know, getting your existing customers to buy more frequently. And it's phenomenal what it can do to your business. If you can yeah. do, can do that, so you know an example that we do in we've done in our business over the last twelve months is we're very very good at product packaging and we're very very good mm-hmm. at custom illustrations and diagrams, right? And what we've done is we've offered all the people that we do packaging for to do extremely high quality instruction booklets with custom illustrations for their products. So it was a yeah, very yeah. easy way to get existing customers. To buy more, you know, and there's huge value for them. Yeah, exactly. And that's what we're doing as well with our, our new offer. Like we're we're going to offer it to our existing clients first at a cheaper price point just to say thanks and, you know, thanks for your loyalty, etc. It's, it's the same principle that we're using at the moment. But you're right, one at a time is the best way to go. Do you have any killer tips on the get more buyers or set a higher price point? Get more buyers just requires more marketing. So, you know, if you can be very specific with your targeting of your marketing. So don't market to everybody. Just try and, you know, narrow it down to to one particular buyer group at a time. Yeah, well, our friend James talks about go to your customers and do like a deep dive survey and understand your current buyers and use that profile to go and find more buyers. So it narrows the use of your marketing dollars to a more specific audience. Exactly. And then if you're advertising on Facebook, you know, they have lookalike audiences, which is helpful in that sense. And also, you know, user retargeting, which, you know, we've just explained on other podcasts, but it's when people come to your website, obviously drop a cookie on their site, and then you can only show ads to those people that have visited your site. So you don't waste money on advertising. The cool thing is with AdWords now, you can do that and make a lookalike audience of your remarketing audience, which is very clever. Wow, that's powerful. Look, I, I think a lot of this stuff, it comes down to the next point that you're going to talk about, which is understanding your metrics. It is indeed, yeah. So this is a, a you know a big thing in business. I mean, it's all about cash flow mainly, but you know you want to know the lifetime value of your customer. So for instance, if your lifetime value of your customer customer is say five thousand dollars, for argument's sake, why wouldn't you invest maybe like ten to twenty percent of that to to get that customer on board? You know, a lot of people don't. You know, they, they stop their marketing or their advertising spend at a very low rate when they aren't looking at the bigger picture. Yeah, you know, this this comes down to the 80-20 principle. You know, it's, it's like businesses spend their marketing dollars equally to get the lowest value customer and also get the highest value customer, you know. And if you just said, well, the bottom X percent, you know, the bottom 20% or the bottom 50% or the bottom 80%, I'm not going to invest money in marketing to those prospects anymore. And I'm just going to target the highest possible value customers that I can get. You know, you can take leaps and bounds in a very short period of time, but you need to know your numbers. You need to know what the lifetime mm. value is. Look at the highest valued customers and go, well, what's their profile? How do I leverage that more for those three concepts of getting more buyers, getting them to buy more frequently 
or could I charge those people a higher rate? Yep. And so another thing for metrics is know the cycle of their purchasing life. Do you want to dig a little deeper on that one? Well, I mean, this, you know, just comes from Jay and he's just sort of reeling off all these things. But to me, what it means is like, how, how frequently are they buying or purchasing from you? And, you know, is there a way of, of bringing that frequency closer together? Yeah. The example in the book Built to Sell, where the guy's the guy is specialized he wants to specialize in logo designs and he's questioning he goes but don't companies only need a logo design once when they're new and he explains well mm-hmm. no because there's the company's logo design and then there's designs for products and product ranges and campaigns and there's a whole nother another level so i guess that's that's sort of digging into that is knowing not just the lifetime value but i guess I'm trying to think of how to describe this, Greg. You know, the the, the best way to describe this cycle of their purchasing life, you know. Uh, I guess, are they going to pop onto your radar once a month, once a quarter, once every six months, yeah. once a year? Now, if they're a once-a-year customer, how do you make them a twice-a-year customer? Exactly, exactly. So, yeah, really understand how frequently they're purchasing. And if you can, try and make it more frequent. Look, you know what you can do too, and uh, insurance companies did this in Australia where you used to have to pay your insurance annually, right? And what they did was they put a small premium on it and said, well, you can pay it twice a year. Oh, sorry, like uh, Mm. every six months or every quarter. And that was the beginning of that evolution. Now they offer monthly payments, right? But what they've done is they firstly spread out their cash flow, right? Instead of having an annual payment from each customer, they now have potentially a biannual or a quarterly payment and they also charge a small premium for that so they've increased their profit there you go nice yeah and obviously um, upselling and cross-selling to existing existing clients which we touched on before that's a pretty powerful way of getting additional revenue um, but you know you might want to just think about those individual products across your lifetime value of your customer like does that include upsells and and cross-sells etc or if not you know you could introduce them as a as an added uh, income stream can i make a point on upsell and cross-sells, right? For many traditional bricks-and-mortar businesses where they might be doing the selling face-to-face or on the phone or something like that, be very, very careful when you've got to upsell and cross-sell. I've seen way too often people be so focused on upselling that they burn the customer on what the customer actually came in for, right? My advice is, even online, sell them what they came for first, right? And then offer them an upsell or a cross-sell. So rather than upsell, an upgrade might be a better way to, to, to perceive it. Does that make sense? It does indeed, yeah. Well, a cross-sell is really when they haven't actually made the purchase first. You're offering all this other stuff, and you're probably right. Don't offer it. Just get them across the line on that first thing um, rather than add something else into their cart before they've even purchased. But, yeah, really an upsell is after the purchase. So it might be something that you offer down the track in a in an automated sequence or just as another offer appears in your business. The interesting thing is in traditional sales, the way I was taught, the cross-sell is more of a drop. Right, So you can't sell them on product A. Well, what about product B at a lower price? Or what about product C at a lower price again? And what about product D at a lower price? And you keep going down until they finally say, yes, I'll buy something from you. Well, that's a downsell. But yeah, I know, I know what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, it is, a, it is a downsell. But, uh, you know, what you're saying is trying to offer them yeah. something else to get them to buy something if they haven't bought the original As well, product, yeah. Which is the same kind of concept, right? And the yeah, upsell yeah, yeah. Yeah. is 
traditionally getting them to buy, say, for example, something else after, after they've already committed to the purchase on, on the first one, which I think that's yes. critical. Too many people try and upsell before they've closed the sale. Yeah, yeah, too soon. Too Going soon. Going off too yeah, soon is I bad. Agree. You get tablets for that. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, and so there are many small adjustments that you can make, and we've you know just discussed a few of them, to increase your revenue. And if you put all of those little things together, there might only be little 10 to 15% increases. But you know if you put them all together, add up to a hell of a lot. And that's kind of what Jay Abraham gets his clients to do, to put all these little percentage points together to, to really 10x their yeah, business. Yeah, they talk about it in those three formats. If you can get 10% more buyers and all your buyers buying with 10% more frequency and you can get a 10% higher price point, you don't get a 10% more increase. You get a substantially bigger increase. So Yeah, it's compounding. Look, I, I think with all of this stuff, I think the last point that we might end on, which you've got here in our notes, is, you know, all of these things are great, but where do you start, right? And, and you've made a point of the old 80-20 rule. Okay, that eighty percent of our time mm-hmm. could very easily be wasted, and and I actually I'm, I'm revisiting this eighty twenty rule at the moment, and you know the eighty twenty rule is a header for a principle. It's not a fixed eighty percent twenty percent, right? The reality is is that some businesses can mm-hmm. waste ninety five percent of their time on things that are not profitable. And only spend 5%. So it might be a 595 split, right? It might be 50 50. But I think the point is have a look at those tips, you know, that we've just talked about and ask yourself, well, where can I make the most effective reward or, or return on the smallest investment of my time and do that first? Killer tip. Love it. Well, awesome, man. Well, that's probably a wrap, dude. I think it's been a yeah, quite a, an educational podcast episode. And uh, listener, I hope you've got a ton of value out of it. Yeah, awesome, listener. Leave us some feedback on iTunes or the website. Any questions, go below the post and pop it into the, the comments and we'll, we'll happily answer any questions. Greg, you have a quick killer week. You got it. Listener, we'll catch you on the next episode. Absolutely. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to The Real Magic Podcast. Hear more at therealmagic.com.